Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talk to Defeat ALS podcast. I'm Tony Heil with the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter, and in this podcast, we talk to people about their various experiences dealing with ALS, from patients, people living with the disease, uh, healthcare workers who are essential workers at all times, especially in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. We also talk with uh, advocates, chapter staff, and a wide variety of perspectives because it takes a whole team to attack the problem of ALS and fulfill our mission. Today I'm excited to bring to you an interview with Sarah Parvanta. She is going to talk about the ALS Focus Project and what that means for surveys, getting information about the ALS community, and hopefully improving um, a lot of what we do to help defeat ALS and help people living with the disease now and in the future. So I hope that you will listen, um, and if you are in the Philadelphia area, and in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, as part of our chapter, please visit us at www.alsphiladelphia.org, and follow us on social media, all at ALS Philadelphia, and you can uh, go to als.org to um, visit the ALS website, ALS Association website, where you'll learn even more about this, and you will have more information about um this project and more information you can get as we discuss today. So with that in mind, Sarah, thank you so much for calling today and talking to me about this program. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So Sarah, I we've only met, talked a few times in our lives. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how it fits in with uh, your role here at the ALS Association? Yes, definitely. Um, I have a PhD in communication, and actually it's from the University of Pennsylvania, so that's a a little thing we have in common. Mm -hmm. And um, in addition to that, I have a master's degree in public health. And with this type of combined training, I'm able to design surveys that ask people about their opinions and their experiences, uh, particularly when it comes to their health. And so a year ago, I became the director of the ALS-focused survey program at the ALS Association. Um, And so this role has been a perfect fit for me because I get to do really meaningful survey research that actually helps people directly. Um, I have a degree in communications as well, from, and I I know a lot of that background does involve survey work and in order to do anything effectively. So I'm sure you have experience, different kinds of experience working with surveys, correct? Yes, I've worked on a variety of surveys from asking people whether they've been exposed to different kinds of health campaigns and whether those health campaigns helped them to improve their health. I've worked on surveys uh, related to information in prescription drug advertising and whether people are able to use that information uh, to make informed decisions about the drugs and other uh, treatments that they're using and talking to their doctors about. And now I work on these more social science-based surveys, again, asking people about their experiences, their preferences, and their needs. So it's really asking people for their opinions and to tell me about themselves um, in order to understand what their lives are like and what their needs are. And of course, ALS is a disease that has a lot of diversity in terms of the disease itself. Uh, People experience it in different ways, at different ages, different backgrounds. And that brings us to the ALS Focus program. Sarah, what what is ALS Focus? And um, what was it that 
brought about its creation? Why why is it something that is happening um, right now? Yes, ALS Focus is a new survey program, and it is for people with ALS, for current caregivers, and for past caregivers as well. Uh, so it's for for a lot of different important groups of people in the ALS community, and this survey program was created to shed a spotlight on the needs and preferences and opinions of of people with ALS and their caregivers. And so their experiences are really the most important when we try to understand uh, what are important outcomes when designing clinical trials, what needs should we be creating ALS policies around and how do we best improve ALS care? And so asking people who are directly impacted by policies and trials and care, um, by gaining insights from them, we can better address the types of needs that they have through advocacy, policy work, and uh, research. And I know that those are the pillars of the mission of the ALS Association. It's why I go to work or Whatever it is I do, you know, going to work or being here at home working, of course, uh, these days. Um, but why did the ALS Association decide to take this step? Is there something that we're hoping to learn from it especially and, and that a survey would be helpful? Yes, uh, great question. Uh, we're, we're using surveys specifically because survey research is it's, it's one of the best ways to get an a really accurate picture of what's going on across the community and what challenges people people are having in the face of this disease. So we can ask people, of course, uh, through in-person interviews, and we can kind of gain experiences from a couple of different people at a time. But when you survey large groups of people, um, you're able to gain really reliable, compelling evidence on what the needs are and and what kind of actions can be taken based on those survey data. So you can think about it like having strength in numbers. Uh, When you conduct surveys, you can uh, be informed by much larger groups of people than if you were asking people one-on-one. Right, and I know that from our clinic experience, there might be, in a a busy day, a dozen people who go to one of our clinics, and I'm sure when it comes to a survey, you can ask thousands of people, especially online, right? Yes, exactly. And so through ALS Focus, we're actually inviting people to participate and then to remain as participants in the future. So we create surveys on an ongoing basis, depending on what the most current and timely needs are in the communities. And so people can participate once and then come back and take more surveys. And so that way, we grow this community of ALS-focused participants um, who can share their experiences at different points in time. So yes, it's really building those numbers um, you know, across, hopefully, what will be thousands of people as we move forward. And in order for it to be successful, you need certain uh, stakeholders who help to create it. So who are the, the people or organizations um, that have helped create the survey? Yes, I think this 
goes along with what you were saying earlier about needing a whole team of different people um, in this fight against ALS, and and the same goes for the development and uh, growth of ALS focus. So um, fortunately, I think one of the most uh, fulfilling and insightful parts of working on this survey program is that we get to work with an advisory committee of people with ALS and caregivers. So they're called our PCAC, Patient and Caregiver Advisory Committee, and they help us to think about survey topics and survey questions and really give us an inside look of um, what people who are going to be coming in to take these surveys might find to be most meaningful and what kinds of questions are most um, accessible and understandable to this community. So that's uh, probably uh, one of the main groups on ALS Focus that I want to be sure to highlight in this call. Um, In addition to our patient and caregiver committee, uh, we also work with um, a very uh, smart and uh, expert committee of academic researchers, experts from the CDC and the FDA, and pharmaceutical experts who bring that perspective from the clinical trial side and uh, the the drug development side. So between that and all of the really amazing ideas and insights that we gain from our uh, patient and caregiver committee, we're able to develop um, surveys that are meaningful and can really create action. And so it can, it's different from other surveys, right? This the both the creation and the results, um, I guess you would say, are more unique than some other surveys or registries or things that are out there for ALS and for other diseases. Well, I think that each kind of survey that's out there has something to offer mm-hmm. for sure, and um, ALS focus is maybe filling a new niche. And so um, I'll just kind of uh, talk about that a little bit more. So we, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast uh, know about the CDC registry, for example, and have probably, um, many of whom have probably signed up to be part of the registry. And ALS Focus is a different survey program from the CDC registry. So they kind of operate separately, but actually we work with people who work on the CDC registry um, as part of ALS Focus. And um, an important reason for that is because ALS Focus survey data, so the responses that we get from ALS Focus participants, those can be linked with any studies they might have participated in through the CDC registry. So from one person, um, uh, we're able to understand a, a whole variety of experiences both, and both their perceptions and then also maybe some of their clinical outcomes and combine all of that information together to, to create really useful and powerful insights about what's happening and what's most important uh, for people in these communities. So we definitely are a partner with the CDC registry and have really appreciated um, the kind of guidance and also their um, their kind of enthusiasm about spreading the word about focus. Mm-hmm. So I think I think in addition to that, though, in addition to C 
CDC registry and ALS focus. There are definitely other surveys out there as well. And what um, another unique part of ALS focus is that the data that we collect through our ALS focus surveys are uh, free and open to the entire ALS community. So sometimes surveys are conducted where the data are what's called proprietary. So either the community can't have access to this, those data or would have to pay for those data. And ALS Focus really, uh, in direct response to that, you know, decided, no, these data are going to be free so that researchers and people everywhere who are interested in knowing what's going on among people with ALS and caregivers can have access to those data and do research using those data. So that's a really important part and hopefully um, an important contribution that we can make uh, to the research community, both in the United States and all over the world. Yeah, and the nice thing about surveys like this, as opposed to some other drug trials, which are also important, is that if you're a person with ALS or a caregiver, etc., you can do all the surveys in the world, whereas if you're in a drug trial, you can't take multiple drug trials, right? So this is something that it doesn't take away from the success or the work of anything else. Exactly. It's a way to contribute to research and to make one's opinions heard without necessarily being part of a clinical trial or in addition to being part of a clinical trial. So this is something that people can participate in from the comfort of their own home. They don't have to go somewhere. Uh, the eligibility criteria are quite, quite um, broad. Um, it's, it's anyone who has, um, who's living with ALS and it's caregivers, both current and past caregivers, so long as they're 18 years old or older um, and also live in the United States. And, and from there, they're eligible to participate. And as I continue, I just want to point out, people listening, you can learn more about ALS Focus um, at als.org slash als-focus. And just going to the ALS Association website will help you get there as well. Um, you'll learn all about it um, in more detail. But And so that's important right now, so you don't have to wait till the end of the podcast to hear. Um, Sarah, this summer, the ALS Association released the findings from the first ever ALS-focused survey. Um, did we learn anything important, and is it? Uh, did you feel extra hopeful for the direction of this as a result? Yes, uh, we did. We and I think we have a lot of findings from the survey, and so I'll I'll highlight a few of them now that seem like they're really um, immediate and compelling. Um, so. One, this survey was on insurance needs and financial burdens among people with ALS and caregivers. And so we asked them about what types of health insurance they have, what kinds of coverage that health insurance um, offers, and also what kinds of expenses they have and is there stress attached to dealing with those expenses and dealing with um, insurance information and paperwork and so forth. And so a few things that we learned were that uh, people with ALS and caregivers uh, definitely do experience uh, financial burdens after an ALS diagnosis, which, which probably seems obvious, but this survey was able to put a magnifying glass over what those kinds of burdens are. So we had over 400 people um, in this survey, 
And a quarter of them, this is both people with ALS and caregivers, so that's nearly 25%, um, said that they had to borrow money or face debt after an ALS diagnosis. And so this result definitely stood out um, because that can be just such an extra burden on top of um, this new diagnosis and um, everything that's involved in, in treating, it, it, treating it and living with it. Um, in addition to that, uh, a quarter of people in our survey said that they worked longer than they planned after mm -hmm. an ALS diagnosis, and in many cases, that was so they could keep their health insurance, um, which can also be really burdensome. It can be really hard to work after an ALS diagnosis for many reasons, in addition, uh, not excluding uh, for caregivers who uh, then have so much more on their plate um, in addition to the jobs that they do. And so needing to keep that job in order to keep health insurance can create a real burden. So um, we also found that people in our survey um, with ALS specifically uh, responded to questions about uh, stress and what types of um, insurance and financial experiences are stressful to them. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that almost half of these uh, people with ALS um, said that covering the cost of medical treatments and services brought on a lot of stress, and so did managing paperwork from medical bills and trying to understand what their insurance covers. So we asked about a range of different financial experiences people might have, and those experiences were the ones that really um, came to the top of the list in terms of the level of stress. So those are places where um, we can create action to try to uh, provide assistance and help alleviate uh, stress related to those very necessary um, experiences after someone uh, has an ALS diagnosis. Um, so just to talk about what the value is of, of having these kinds of survey data, um, these kind of responses from ALS-focused participants are incredibly valuable uh, because they tell us uh, where insurance needs and financial burdens exist and where we should focus our efforts to alleviate those stressors. And by we, I mean the ALS Association and also policymakers, care services providers, and other groups who advocate for the needs of people with ALS and caregivers. So, so these data aren't just for the ALS Association alone to act on. They can inform the, the programs and activities and actions that all kinds of different organizations make. Oh, yeah, just hearing a couple minutes of that, I can see um, when we do advocacy going to people and saying, this is evidence that this is a financial burden and the stress that people have, and that's why we need to pass this legislation or get this funding. And, and not only that, but I can see for fundraising, obviously bringing that out and letting people know, so that's important. Um, but also in terms of how we do our um, outreach, our care services, and letting people know that, you know, I, I really value our social workers, and they help with a lot of those things, and helping guide those conversations can, this survey can help guide those conversations, correct? Yes, it, it attaches hard numbers uh, to all of those issues, and you can't deny what the numbers say. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and I imagine 
Um, you know, for me, my experience here at the ALS Association and um, losing people in my family and friends to this disease is most people, when they come to us, they haven't had ALS in their life before they or their loved one got it. So when you can come to them and say, you're not alone, here is what we know, that may also help to alleviate their stress or make them feel a little bit more at ease with asking questions, right? Right, make them feel heard, um, kind of uh, validated in those experiences that they're going through. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of our goals with ALS Focus is to also make these results available quickly so that not only people who took the survey, but people in the community can, can see these results as we're getting them in. Um, oftentimes with, with research, there's a long delay between when the data are collected and when a paper is published and then it's in a scientific journal and trying to digest that all of that information, um, it can just take a long time. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we want to do with focus data, not only making the data, like is the numbers available to people, but the results and the interpretation of those results. And so we do have uh, some of the key results from this first survey already up on the website. And then we're working on uh, writing up those results so the rest of the research community can, can learn about them too. So we're really, we want these results to be available to the people that, that the numbers matter most to. And so we do have results. I know I mentioned a few ways, but do you know how the results from ALS Focus might inform the ALS Association's work um, going forward, uh, whether this survey or future surveys? Have you, is there a discussion about what this could lead to next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a... I think that there are so many opportunities. Um, So we need data to inform change. And change spans change in programs and change in policies. And so we hear all the time about the burdens of, of patients and their families. And so sharing these kind of clear data will help uh, with the ALS Association's work to uh, inform policymakers who are writing legislation, for example, uh, to improve the quality of life, and um, in the case of the last survey, to impact uh, insurance access uh, for people with ALS and families. So that's um, a goal that that we can do with these data. It, because we've just gotten these results, we're, we're at the beginning of those steps, but we're kind of uh, uh, working away and charging ahead uh, to, to bring impact from what these data tell us. So the ALS Association and many other organizations have the ability to, um, to inform uh, those who, who are part, part of that policymaking process. And so we can use those numbers um, when making the case for new policies or revised policies that we think could benefit this community. So concrete data um, makes it all that more likely that um, that people who can create change will, will listen to these data when making that change. And I know that the ALS Association's Advocacy Department does a great job at uh, seeing what's possible for new legislation in every Congress or even recommending it for state legislators. Um, or for the chapters themselves. So having this information 
can help know, people know that it's not just some person up in leadership that is deciding, well, we're going to do this. It's now we know based on what patients and stakeholders want um, that's going to drive our mission. Yes, and we actually um, are able to look at ALS focus results at a chapter or regional level so we can see if needs are different depending on different regions of the U.S. And we can use that information to directly inform chapters about um, uh, programs that they that they might be doing and, and seem like maybe they're, they're successful or maybe new programs that are needed. So as we grow uh, the ALS focus um, group of participants, we'll have that many more participants who are reflecting the different chapters across the U.S. and so we can have insights for each of those chapters. That's really important and I think based on what you've said, um, chapters from Pennsylvania to California to everywhere in between, we can collaborate and say that this is what's working and not and you know thankfully when it comes to these policy ideas or or creating new care services goals, we're not in competition. We're, we're here to work together for the benefit of all people with ALS. Oh, exactly. Yeah, this is, these data are meant to be helpful to everyone who wants to use them. So the, in order to get the data, you have to get participants. Um, what did we do that was successful to get participants? Were you happy with um, who got involved and and can people still get involved in, a, in ALS Focus? Yes, they can. The surveys, like I said, are ongoing. So we have a survey open uh, right now. Um, and then the, the platform that we call it, it's kind of an online platform where people are able to register and then it creates basically an account for them and then they can see the new surveys every time they're available on their account. So I mentioned earlier that we're inviting all people with ALS, uh, caregivers who provide care to, to, um, to provide ALS care currently, and caregivers who provided care in the past uh, to participate in ALS focus. So um, we, what we, I think the best process is for people to go to the ALS focus website on the ALS Association's um, overall website. We have a dedicated page for ALS Focus and they can get more information on what's involved, what, what the surveys entail, and also um, information on how their data are de-identified to protect people's privacy because mm -hmm. that's of course really important. Um, no, people's names aren't going to be attached to their data. So that, that's all, always really important in survey work. So that kind of information is available from there. And then People can go from that website if they decide they want to participate. They, there's a link there where they can click to start taking the surveys. They first need to register and kind of do a couple steps to sign up because it is, in fact, a research study. And um, so there's a, a registration section and informed consent, and then they can start taking surveys, um, you know, when it's convenient for them. And uh, we do different kinds of... Um, activities to get the word out. Uh, we work with our chapters and we also um, have uh, social media types of posts 
with information on ALS focus and the, and the people on our uh, patient and caregiver advisory committee who are, are part of that process. They've been really helpful in spreading the word. Um, so members of the community might find out that way, but if, if not, they are always welcome to just go to the website. And if they have questions, we have a dedicated email address for any of those questions um, that we respond to, and we can provide people with more information. And I know that many participants in the survey, uh, for example, our mutual friend John Russo, who was on the cover of it and from New Jersey, um, they're, they're sharing by word of mouth and in, in different groups to let people know. Um, I just want to give a shout out to John because he has been a very vocal proponent of this. Um, so you said there is a survey out now. What, what kinds of things are we focusing on next, pun intended? Yes, exactly. Uh, the focus of this new survey is on what matters most to people with ALS. And that seems like a broad statement because I think many of the ALS-focused surveys, that's the, that's the exact goal is to gauge what matters most. But this one has specific uh, questions uh, related to that topic. And so we're using a survey that was actually developed by researchers um, Dr. Chad Heatwell and his team at the University of Rochester. And so this is a really cool set of questions um, that helps to gauge um, ALS symptoms and what kinds of impacts those symptoms have on people's daily lives. Um, so um, what we're asking is for people with ALS to complete this and also for caregivers uh, to take this survey too um, and share their insights on which symptoms seem to matter most to the people that they care for. And the reason that we're doing this survey now and why it's important is because um, what matters most is relevant in so many ways to all kinds of different work that we can do in the ALS space. Like, for example, uh, developing therapies and clinical trials. Um, so if you think about it, um, if a drug is able to positively affect and improve the things that matter most to people with ALS, then you would have a really important drug in that case. So it's useful to have these, this survey um, and, and surveys like this that measure what matters most um, so that clinical trial designers can then use those same goals and benchmarks in the clinical trials that they're conducting. So that's one of the, that's a, a kind of a big goal in the research community in general um, is to figure out what is most meaningful in the lives of people living with the ALS, in the lives of caregivers, and how can we, how can um, uh, pharmaceutical developers uh, develop clinical trials to incorporate those meaningful outcomes into their clinical trial designs. Yeah, I can see all sorts of applications for this, and I'm not the expert that you are or that others are with this, and not to um, minimize my own involvement, but so I know that caregivers and pe people with ALS can have different perspectives on what is important, and understanding that can help give a different kind of perspective to them as they're navigating this disease together, um, and it can also help social workers talking with one or the other to say, you know, I know you, this is really important to you, but just understand people with ALS focus on this in particular. So 
I, I imagine that once that data is out, it can um, really help with a lot of different kinds of conversations, correct? Yes. It, um, from what I am uh, learning and hearing about this area of research called patient-focused drug development is that um, the experiences of patients and the experiences of caregivers um, are kind of some of the most important pieces of information that you would need in the drug development process. So, um, so definitely where we think of, um, I actually heard someone the other day uh, refer to caregivers and as research partners in the clinical trial process because they are so much part of that process as well. And so we really want to hear from them what they think matters most to the people that they care for. And then there are some wonderful people who run clinics uh, and the neurologists and others there who, for whatever reason in their background, may feel like, well, at this point, patients don't really want to hear so much about X or, um, you know, where we hesitate to talk about this kind of thing early on with a disease. And maybe this will give them more comfort to have conversations that maybe they weren't sure that patients were ready to have. And so that'll help them provide better care potentially. Mm, yes. Actually, you're giving me ideas for new survey topics. Great. <laughs> so, so that's excellent. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, that just that last minute here shows the value of surveys and us doing them, like ALS focuses that as you navigate this, you'll be able to find new topics and you know, keep evolving it to find something new that you would not have thought of today or tomorrow, right? Yes, it's it's in many ways, um, hopefully, uh, takes on a mind of its own <laughs> um, in that in, insights and findings from one survey can inform new surveys down the road. But also, I, I just have to reiterate and, and give a shout out to the the patients and caregivers are not our advisory committee who help us vet these different topics and tell and remind us of what's most important at any particular moment because that also will inform the topics that we choose in the future. But these topics can evolve, and um, and and the and the fortunate thing is that that we have a lot of room to be creative in designing surveys that um, that will measure what's most important in these communities at any given time. Well, I find it very fascinating and I think very valuable to the ALS community as a whole, um, not just most importantly patients and also caregivers and clinic staff and chapters and advocates and so on and so on. Uh, so I, I appreciate that this is happening. Um, and Sarah, as we finish here, is there anything else that you would like people to know to be aware of and connect to this valuable program? Um, sure. Well, I would say I hope that people are able to learn about ALS Focus from our website um, and also using the, the email address that I actually am able to respond to uh, directly if they have questions. Um, and then hopefully within their chapters, they hear about ALS Focus as well and and again, we're available because we want people to understand what this research is all about and to know that their data are going to be safe and also make an impact. Um, so 
I can't thank the participants enough who've already participated, who are signing up now and participating. They are what make this program strong and meaningful. And so we have just so much appreciated the enthusiasm in the community um, to for people to come together and bring their insights so that we can look at those insights across large uh, numbers of people uh, for whom each individual matters. And then as the whole, there's so much more strength in those numbers. So um, I just want to thank, again, our patient and caregiver committee, our steering committee of different experts and researchers, and the other staff at the ALS Association that I work with. I think it's a whole uh, team of people um, and we're, we're building something here to have a big impact now and in the future. That's wonderful. I, I feel very optimistic about this. And obviously we need something hopeful and optimistic in this year in particular. Um, but we always need that when we're fighting ALS. It's such a devastating disease. Again, if you're listening, uh, please learn more about this program. You can go to ALS.org and you can find this right on that website, right? Yes. Yep, there's a link on the front, on the home page, and then also our um, dedicated page is als.org back, black, backslash ALS Focus. So please go there, and if you can, you can also donate to the ALS Association nationally at als.org. Our chapter represents families with ALS in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Um, not all, of New, for most of New Jersey and most of Pennsylvania, but um, so you can go to alsphiladelphia.org. And follow the ALS Association on all social media to get updates on this program and see what the surveys are doing because this is one thing where people need to donate, they need to volunteer, but this is something where if you feel like you want to do more and you can't donate more, you just still want to do more no matter what, this is something everyone who has ALS and every caregiver especially, they can participate this no matter what, correct? That's a great point. Yes, exactly. Um, well, I, I really appreciate your time, Sarah, and I look forward to seeing more success from the ALS Focus Program. Yes, thank you again for having me. This was such a good conversation. I really appreciate it.